The pages of a book are filled with great adventures, stories of everlasting love, heartbreak, and the classic whodunit. Explore them all with your host, Laura Young. Welcome to Read Astray. Hello, I'm Laura, a middle school reading teacher at All Good Middle School and an avid reader in general. Welcome to Read Astray, a podcast devoted to reviewing books, books of differing genres and for differing audiences. In this episode, I'm reviewing Ava's Man by Rick Bragg. The author, Rick Bragg, is an American journalist and writer known for nonfiction books about his family in Alabama. Bragg has authored eight books, most notable is All Over But the Shouting, which tells the story of his childhood in Alabama, including his journalism career, his personal issues, and the stories of the people he cares about. Bragg worked at several newspapers before he joined the New York Times in 1994. He covered unrest in Haiti, the Oklahoma City bombings, the Jonesboro, Arkansas killings, and the Susan Smith trial. He later became the paper's Miami bureau chief prior to the arrival of Elian Gonzalez and his international controversy. He won a Pulitzer Prize in 1996, recognizing his work at the New York Times. After a 2003 controversy involving writing a story that was reported by an uncredited unpaid intern, Bragg resigned from the New York Times. He now works as a writing professor at the University of Alabama's journalism program and writes a column for Southern Living. Ava was Rick Bragg's grandmother. Charlie was her husband, her man, Ava's man. Though Bragg knew his grandmother Ava and spent a good deal of time with her, his grandfather passed away before he was born. In Ava's Man, Bragg has written a unique tribute to his maternal grandfather, Charlie Bundrum, a man he never knew, but one he made a point to learn about through the stories of others. Bragg introduces us, the readers, to Charlie through carefully written anecdotes he collected from those who knew Charlie personally. Charlie was a husband, father, worker, and bootlegger. He was a man who was cherished by those who loved him and even those who just knew him. This book is nonfiction, a biography of sorts, but it's told as a series of stories with true Southern flair. Bragg's use of language clearly evokes the time and place as well as establishing the characters. This is a genuine, honest portrait of the grandfather Bragg never knew except through stories. Reading it reminded me of sitting and listening to my grandparents or great-aunts and uncles. I almost wish I had listened to the audio book rather than reading the paperback. It certainly would have seemed like storytelling at its best. Obviously, the main character is Ava's man, Charlie Bundrum. He was born in 1908 near the Alabama-Georgia border. He was a roofer by trade, but he was also a whiskey maker, sawmill hand, well digger, hunter, poacher, and river man. Charlie, who was what women called a purdy man, was tall and thin. He played the banjo and guitar and sang, laughed, and buck danced under the stars. Charlie was tender hearted, loved babies, and took a simple minded man into his home to protect him from thugs. Charlie didn't go to church and lived by his own moral code. Charlie inspired backwoods legend and loyalty. Other characters are Charlie's wife, Ava, their seven children, James, William, Edna, Juanita, Margaret, Joe, Sue, and Emma May, their great-grandchildren, Hootie, 
the Reardon family, and several nieces and nephews. Ava, whom Charlie couldn't wait to marry at the young age of 17 and refers to as that four-eyed gal with black hair and blue eyes, Ava Hamilton, for years after her husband's death, people would ask Ava why she didn't get herself a man. She'd always reply, I ain't going to get me no man, I had me one. Ava was a smart girl of means who could have married almost anyone and achieved almost everything, but she wanted to marry Charlie. She was a hard worker who raised seven children and buried one. When Rick was a young boy, Ava took care of him. He writes of her, She was old all my life. She could be gentle as a baby bird and sweet as candy, but if her prescription was off or she just got mad, she could dog-cuss anyone who came to mind, including the dead. Hootie became an adopted member of the Bundren family. He was an ugly, scrawny man about five feet tall who lived in a tiny shack along North Georgia River. Hootie always wore an old army uniform, though he was never a soldier, and he lived on fish and whiskey, trading one for the other. I laughed out loud when I read that Hootie's greatest pleasure was a tin of potted meat, which he would eat straight out of the can from his pinky finger. Hootie was almost beaten to death by thugs, so Charlie brought him to live with the Bundrants, where he stayed for years, sleeping in a corner of whatever shack they inhabited. Charlie had a habit of bringing in strays. After explaining what led him to writing the book and how he gathered the stories, this tale begins in the foothills of the Appalachians in the 1930s. It describes how Ava and Charlie met at a lunchbox auction and soon married. And then it goes on to tell how Ava loved him and hated him with a story called The Beaten of Blackie Lee. Apparently, Ava beat that woman all through their house, onto the porch, through the yard, down the street, and into the car of a passing stranger. She beat her so hard that her hands swelled up and wouldn't even fit in her apron pockets. The story then jumps back a bit to the 1920s and describes Charlie's family and Charlie's childhood as well as Ava's childhood until their eventual marriage and birth of their first child. Charlie excelled at being a daddy. He knew a father never let anything happen to his babies. Once when a neighbor teased Charlie's son with a dog and the dog bit the boy, Charlie went over and shot the dog, though he might have rather shot the man. Charlie and Ava spent most of their lives renting cabins in the woods of Alabama or Georgia at the end of dirt roads surrounded by trees, poison ivy, bushes. They had a brief period of prosperity after World War I when Charlie got work in the Alabama steel mills. Steel mills. Charlie got a new car, rented a house in town, and bought new clothes and purses for Ava, her favorite. Then the Great Depression hit, and the work at the steel mill ended. The family resumed renting cabins in the woods and often had to relocate for work. In fact, the family moved 21 times over the next 10 years. You're listening to Red Astray. I'm Laura, your book review host from the Henson Oakley Podcast Center. Did you realize that at you, as you age, your tooth enamel may get worn down, making it easy for tooth discoloration to occur? Teeth whitening is a great way to offset the effects of aging in order to maintain a beautiful, healthy smile. Henson Oakley on West Jackson Street in Cookville Offer Zoom teeth whitening for a wider, brighter smile. Visit Henson Oakley Family Dentistry to see if tooth, Zoom teeth whitening might be right for you. Again, I'm reviewing Ava's Man by Rick Bragg. 
It was during the Depression that Charlie started to make a few gallons of liquor, spelled L-I-K-K-E-R in the book, liquor, to swap for meal, bacon, coffee, whatever. He prided himself on the quality of his mash and drank a pint for every gallon he made. Sometimes the Bundrens had to move not because of work, but because law had found Charlie still. Charlie loved liquor, but he loved family more, so he never drank at home. He might return home when the drinking was done and stagger into the house, but he wasn't a mean drunk. He drank, he laughed, he sang, and told good stories. After World War II, the Bundrens finally lived in one house in Jacksonville, Alabama for seven years, and life was pretty good. The government was giving out surplus commodities every month. The two older boys were enlisted, and things went well. Charlie hadn't changed much on the outside as he passed 40. He still worked hard and drank liquor like water. The fact is, though, that things were changing in the South. He could no longer operate a still or run from the law without being caught. He could no longer get away with driving drunk or fighting. By 1958, Ava and Charlie had been together for more than three decades, but Charlie was sick and nearing the end, without strength and without purpose, and his body gave out. Cars lined up for over a mile on the day of Charlie's funeral, and the church couldn't hold all the people. Bragg writes, Charlie was no myth, and not even a legend, really, or at least just a small one. It's only when you compare him to today with this new South, that he seems larger than life. The difference between then and now is his complete lack of shame. He was not ashamed of his clothes, his speech, his life. He not only thrived, he gloried in it. In the new true South, it's harder to be poor and proud, harder to work your way into an unapologetic, hard-eyed independence. I think Charlie would have done it still, but he was more a man than most. Imperfect, sure, but a man, a kind, mostly lost to this world forever. I read this book on recommendation from a friend. I probably wouldn't have known about it otherwise, and I possibly wouldn't have chosen it if it hadn't been recommended. However, I'm glad to have read it. Despite my friend Amy Collins' aversion to dog-earing the pages of books, I folded corners left and right so that I could remember lines and passages and share them with others. I've already shared some with you, but here's just a few more. This is what Bragg said of Charlie's father. It would have been more befitting of his legend if Jimmy John had been shot down in a pistol fight, but he went out soft and quiet, like a cat leaving a room. This was said of Ava's love for Charlie. Any woman can appreciate a pretty man, but not everyone can appreciate a talking one. And this is what he said of Charlie. What kind of man was this, I wondered, who is so beloved, so missed, that the mere mention of his death would make them cry 42 years after he was preached into the sky? Bragg's writing evokes the South. It glorifies the Old South, even though times were hard and people were too. It's an enjoyable and relatable read to anyone from the South, and I mentioned in a previous episode that I wish my friend would write a book of his stories from the mountain. If he doesn't, they will be gone, just as Charlie would be gone if Rick Bragg hadn't coerced the stories out of his aging relatives. 
my side notes seem to be coming a regular part of my podcast, so I didn't, didn't hesitate to include one here. Bragg writes that when times were tough and food was lean, folks often crumbled cornbread in a bowl or glass and covered it with buttermilk or sweet milk. If they were lucky and had an onion, they chopped it up and added that too, and that was their dinner. When I was a little girl, if there was leftover cornbread from dinner, my dad would crumble it in a glass and cover it with buttermilk for dessert. I thought that was the grossest thing ever. I'd prefer to go without dessert than eat that. And But if it was my only dinner, I guess I'd have to choke it down. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm always open for your book recommendations and format suggestions. You can access me through social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tune in again next time for another book review. Until then, happy reading. You've been listening to Red Astray. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.